Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? I'm Emily. Welcome back to the, I'm pretty sure this is the fifth episode, fifth, fourth or fifth yep. episode of our pod. Yep. Of our podcast, Grandpa Thinks Deep. So welcome back today. We are going to be talking about something that I heard in class. So I'm back at the University of Delaware, back in class, which is, so if our mics sound a little different, that's why. Oh, it's so weird to talk somewhere. These headphones that kind of make sound block out. So my voice sounds super funky to me. So if I sound a little weird, that's probably why. <laughs> You don't sound weird to me, and I'm so glad to be back with you. Oh, and you're right, you. this is the fifth edition and our first remote, where she's in a library in a studio room. I'm in my studio at home where we recorded our earlier ones. And we have our, I don't know what to call him, Jimmy Wirt, who is our tech guy, our producer. I don't know the right title. He's but our he, podcast guy. He does this with all... All the things. He's our amazing. We love Jimmy. Guy. Shout out to Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, our podcast guy. He's going to put that on his door put one day. <laughs> and so I'm really excited that, Emily, you brought a topic. And you know it's going to be deep topic. So why don't you go ahead and frame it for us? Yeah, of course. So I am taking a class called Comparative Genocide. It's obviously a really heavy class. And Grandpa, I think it should be called Origins of Genocide, right? You told me that. Yeah, because, you it's know. more I, about understanding. Well, I wanted to say, I, and I think people listening to this might have the same reaction. Comparing genocides, you know, a genocide is each, I mean, they're incomparable. A exactly, genocide no. is among the most, if not the worst act of mass murder that there can be. And there is no good genocide and there's no worse right. genocide. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not really comparing genocide so much as it's understanding the origins of genocide. And something really interesting was on the first day of class, our teacher asked us, why did you take this class? And a lot of people said it's because they felt like they hadn't learned about the bad parts of history, the bad things that happened in history. They just learned about the stuff that's easy to learn about. One person was like, you know, I never learned about anything in history class other than like the American Revolution, which obviously is a hyperbole, but there's some truth to it. And in class, we were talking about, you know, like, why don't we learn about these terrible things, which are, if anything, kind of the important stuff that you'd want. Obviously, all of history is important, but like, it's really important to learn about the bad things that have happened. And mm -hmm. my teacher said it's because people don't like to have to talk about difficult topics. It's much easier to teach, say, the American Revolution than it is to talk about slavery. That's difficult. And people don't like to be made uncomfortable and to have uncomfortable conversations. So you know, that's going to be the... Can I just stop you on that one point, which strikes me just hearing that explanation. It's easier to talk about the American Revolution than about slavery. Yet there were many people killed in the American Revolution, but we won it. In slavery, we are viewed as the bad guys. Exactly. It's easy. And to talk, yeah. it's easier to talk about people who died when it, it's talking about how they died for like a virtuous cause. Well, and it's virtuous because right? we won. But I think the observation I'm trying to offer 
in that class and in that moment, it is people who are on the winning side of that battle. Now, slavery is an interesting question because we were the bad guys in that, we being white America or America itself. We're not uniquely, there was slavery in the rest of the world. We reflected moments in time of history and it is viewed often as a bad thing in America that had to have been then changed and there was a terrible battle. And there are those who think we continue to suffer from that. And by the way, neither one of those will I argue is genocide. Right. Well, that's not necessarily the point. I'm just kind of using that class as sort of just a jumping off point generally. Yeah, but, but it, it was an interesting way to frame it. And it might take us just off a little bit. But, you know, all right, go moment, ahead. But in this moment in history, and I'm talking from a, you're now in Delaware at the moment. I'm in Virginia, where just in our neighboring county, there are efforts to reduce the amount of study and materials about the Civil War and about slavery. And part of the argument is it makes young people feel guilty. But what's interesting is it goes to your exact point that we're willing to study things where we feel good about what happened, not where we feel bad about what happened. I think that's actually even a better way of putting it than the way that I put it or that I guess that my teacher put it. And interesting, we actually talked, this is funny, in a different class of mine, in my politics and social justice class, we talked about how people say that studying those things makes them feel guilty. But my teacher basically was like, if you didn't do something, you are under no obligation to feel guilty about it. And I think the point of educating people about the wrongs of the past is to prevent them from happening again. Or even the wrongs of the past often still manifest themselves in some way today. And we have to stop it. It is to stop it. It is you learn from history in order for history not to repeat itself. There are those who believe that in this moment in history in America, that we are in a time and in an environment that is similar to, if not equal to, pre-Holocaust Germany. So let me just spend a moment, just a second on that's the a big. That's a big assertion to make. There are people who are making it. So they may be wrong. Hopefully they are wrong. We are clearly in a period of unrest in America and in the world. The unwillingness to examine that and to be aware of what it was that led to one of the worst, many of us will say the worst mass murder, genocide in modern history, at least, would be to welcome this repeat. If you don't learn about history, you're destined to repeat it, is often what's said. There is also the question, Emily, and and you said it, and it struck me again, that the idea that we shouldn't feel guilty about history. And by guilty, I guess, I don't know about feeling guilty. Is there a responsibility of those who are in the privileged and quote, winning side to deal with the cost? Is it whose fault versus, and I'm gonna give you an interesting, and then we can go back a little bit. But after World War I, Germany was punished There was never any effort to restore societies in a way that would make them robust and livable. Germany was punished and punished and punished. 
And there are those who believe in history that that's part of what led eventually to the unrest of what became World War II. The ruined economy, the desperation of the German people made it possible for someone to arise with the claim that only I can fix it. And therefore you need to confront, even if it wasn't your fault, the broken nature of society in a way so that it will not repeat itself. Post-World War II, the Marshall Plan, which was to help to restore Europe and including Germany to an economic level has hopefully sustained, at least until now, a almost record level of prosperity and minimized many of the conflicts. So it is an interesting way that we feel like we have to justify and excuse not feeling guilty. And maybe that even blocks the idea, but maybe we are responsible for making sure the world is in a better place, period. And, and we all have a part to play right. in that, right? Even if we all have a part to play in making the world a better place and to make the world a better place, as we've talked about this in episodes before, it's not a punishment. It's not the punishment of those who broke it. And I feel like when people say, oh, well, teaching people that the world is broken and their beneficiaries of that brokenness makes them feel guilty. I feel like those people are, some of them who say that are aware of what they're doing. They're aware that they just want to keep people in the dark about the ways that they are oppressed or that they are privileged so that they can maintain their privilege. Some people are aware of that, but a lot of people aren't exactly aware of that. Well, you know, there's a deeper question, and maybe this is the intergenerational part of the discussion. Those of us who were around, now I was born in 1945, so I wasn't in World War II, but I do remember, even as a five-year-old, we had neighbors who had been in prison camps. It was, for a long time, a big part of our environment of people who had been victims of the Holocaust, including, as you know, and I'll, I'll get to this later, I hope, because it came up in our newspaper just yesterday. The rabbi of our congregation here in Northern Virginia, who at 17 years old, on May 2nd, 1945, was laying outside on a cold night, and in that morning was rescued by the 82nd Airborne. I live that. I know that. I know people like that. But for most people today, and not just your age, even older, that's becoming a ancient memory. And we, we lived, have lived, America particularly. Yes, there is poverty here. There's people who've grown up in poverty. But so many of us have grown up and we've worked hard, but we've been able to live very wonderful lives. And yeah. so they show up in class and look back and wonder how that could be, so to speak. Is that fair, do you think? Well, right. I think it's important to examine, right? So there's a bootstraps thing, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And a lot of people will say it's just a myth. Here's the thing about bootstraps. Here's my thing about it anyways. Hard work, yes, people work hard. But if you don't have some kind of reward for hard work, then it won't have been worth it. For example, like take a scholarship, right? If you work really, really hard in high school and you want to go to college, if there are no scholarship funds available, what did that hard work get you, right? You have to create opportunities for the people who are willing to climb up the ladder. I'm like sort of my, my main climbing up the ladder. 
you have to create the rungs for them to reach towards, if that makes sense, right? So you have like scholarships, you have to like have someone who's willing to work hard, but you have to provide them with the opportunity to get some kind of job training, right? So there is a disconsonant in the conversation for me right now. Okay. So the reward of hard work in high school is what you learn, not necessarily the opportunity to go to college and the monetary part of it. You will be a more educated human being who will be able to navigate life in a way that is likely to be more rewarding. And there's both book learning and emotional learning, high school and schooling. And it could be a trade school. It could be anything in life. Hard work and learning and exploring and curiosity and generosity that is in relationships will hold you well no matter what you do and want to do in life. If the only reason you're doing something is for the reward, the odds are you will eventually be disappointed. Rewards will come and they'll come for different reasons and often in unexpected ways. And, you know, I would hope that among the things are the values. And I guess that wasn't quite what my point was. It's that the absence of the struggle and the absence of want, that there are generations of particularly Americans who think that really bad things can't happen to them and that everything is okay. One of the benefits of studying genocide and the fact that many of your students are curious about what were these really bad things that happened in history are is what I'm sort of talking about, that they've grown up and they're bad things that they didn't get to go out on a date that they wanted to, or they lost a baseball game, or they didn't get picked for varsity. Those are disappointments, but they came home and they had food on the table. They yeah. didn't have a friend disappear forever. You know, there are stories, vivid stories that while I didn't see them firsthand, I have been privileged to be a best friend of a survivor, right? Of somebody who has been and who woke up that morning in 1945 and said he thought he wasn't going to wake up that morning, that that was going to be the morning he wouldn't wake up because he was sleeping outside. He didn't have any food. He didn't have any other than the ashes of a fire he and some friends had lit the night before. And his joy was American paratroopers driving up outside the gate of a prison camp. What were you doing when you were 17 years old, this 19-year-old? It's not aimed at you, Emily. It's your entire class. Yeah. Tell that story to your students and ask them, what were you doing two years ago? And I guarantee they were graduating from high school, right? They were celebrating. They weren't laying out with no idea if they're going to wake up the next morning. Parents gone. So I'm talking about the beloved and late Rabbi Berkowitz, who he wasn't mentioned, but the Washington Post had a story yesterday of the burial at Arlington Cemetery of a lieutenant colonel who had retired, but who had been part of the 82nd Airborne that had liberated Camp Wobelin that day. And, you know, it, I didn't know it. It struck me and it brought back so many of my memories and memories of our beloved rabbi. So it is interesting to hear that so many of your fellow students, I'm glad they're taking the class. I'm glad we don't have people saying, don't teach terrible things. 
because they make you feel bad because we should feel bad about terrible things. Right. But that doesn't mean we don't have our own, what's the word? I don't want to say ego, but the character, strength, and integrity to understand them and be be made better people by having heard them. Right? What do yeah, you think? That was, that was amazing. That was really beautiful. I agree. I think that we should teach. There are a lot of things in high school that I think we should teach. And obviously, it's only four years. You can only teach so much in four years. But I feel like things we learn in high school aren't all important. And that there's some other things that should be taught like like that, like to learn about the struggles of other people and what they've been through. Well, you know, it's um, interesting, Emily. Just but I had a thought. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was about something you said at the beginning. I don't remember what it was. It was something well, about, like, about the idea that we shouldn't be told things that make us feel bad. I don't know if that was it or who's responsible. Because no, we're not responsible, but we have responsibility. Well, no, we not. It wasn't that. Wasn't it at the beginning of your spiel that you just did? Maybe somebody in the audience will send us a message and tell us what it was and remind us later and we can come back to it. But I am it, interested. Yeah. You know, I'd love us yeah. to get feedback. And I would love your, some of your friends to listen to this. And I'm doing a lot of the talking. So talk some more about your class. I mean, yeah, no, what you said was really profound. I think it's really important in high school that we learn about that we learn about stuff that's important like that. And I honestly think, I know a lot of people don't like high school and they just do the bare minimum. But I think if we were teaching things like that, if we taught stuff that really touched people or stuff that's like actually like genuinely very, very useful information, that more people would pay attention. Because sometimes I just see something and I'm just like, oh my God, American public education is a failure. If people can believe some stupid piece of misinformation, right? Well, what do you think about your fellow students? Now, I know you have to be careful because you go to class with them. But the class itself and what you were hearing in that first class, does it echo any of this or is this, because now we're talking oh, about- Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely echoes a lot of this. We didn't really talk about it for too long. It's interesting that you said about suffering, about like the scale of suffering and how we might have problems, but they sort of almost need to be put in context to remind you sort of of how, like they say you only, you don't know how good you have it until the things that you have, until you, you don't know how good you have it until you don't have it anymore, right? And, but I feel like that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I mean, that's always going to be true on some level, but we can make people appreciate at least the things they have. There was a girl today in my class and she was complaining about having to do the, all these readings and all the stupid homework. And I was like, maybe if this was any other class, I would let this slide. But this is a class where we're literally learning about people who are victims of genocide. Like, I feel like you don't have a right to complain about the workload of the class. Also, you signed up for it. <laughs> You have no, some thoughts about that. I can tell by your face. No, well, what I hope, you know, some of the most powerful part of that, I, I, I would be interested in hearing as your class goes on, and maybe we can come back to this periodically, how it's being approached. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, have you been given yet a list of the genocides you're going to look at? Are they... How I'm going to have a syllabus. How far back they go, or what is considered genocide? No. That's actually what we've been talking about pretty much for the first week. What is the definition? There's a lot of different definitions been defined a lot of different ways. Well, you know, I'm going to get in trouble maybe, but we're going to, Emily, is it all right if we get risky in these conversations? Well, do you want me to give you a recap of what I learned this week? When I say risky, I'm about to say something, but yes, I will want that, but I'm going to ask, did they include 
the Christian Crusades as a genocide? So that's an interesting question. So the class that I'm in mostly focuses, pretty much focuses on genocides of the 20th century. There was, we learned at the beginning, about different forms of pre-20th century genocides. The Crusades definitely were mentioned as one, but we, we aren't necessarily studying that one. But it was mentioned because I was Yes, just... it was. So what are some of the ones that they said you're going to look at? Well, we're beginning by studying the genocide of the Herero and Nama peoples of Southwest Africa. And then we're going to, we're going to learn about the genocide of the Congo. We're going to learn about the Holocaust. We're going to learn about Rwandan and Cambodian genocide. And that's, those are the ones, at least that I know of. Did I read the whole syllabus? <laughs> Was I supposed to read the whole syllabus? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did I? Uh, yeah. So that's, my skimming of the syllabus. Well, you know what that also reminds me of, and I think I've got the right book, Guns, Germs, and... Guns, Germs, and Steel. Steel. Is that on your reading list? No, but I did take a world history class. It was a few years ago. It was an asynchronous community college, world history from 1400 to today. It was asynchronous, so it kind of sucked. But at the end, we had like this reading that we did at the very end, or maybe... No, it was the very end of class. It was like this reading. It was like the first chapter was the intro of that book. And I just was like, oh my God, this is like the answer to like why everything is the way it is. And I wanted to read it, but I never did actually sit down and read it. But I was just like, oh my God, everything makes sense now. You know, I, I don't know if I had this specific thought before, but I'm reminded, and I think it comes out of Guns, Germs, and Steel. And it's the story of, you know, like pre- mortal or early world, tribal world, the tribal world. Like hunters and gatherers? Yeah, but the early tribal, it was about some story from an island off of tribes off of Australia. But it was that when early tribal society, if you met, if one tribe, if somebody met him, ran into a person from another tribe. Okay. One of the two had to die. That is, they were enemies. They were enemies. Okay. That they you didn't know that they existed, but you when you encountered another in those early days, imagine a jungle and you're out going for grapes or fruit, and then there's somebody else doing it, and you've never seen anything like it before. Somebody has to die, or you run, but you 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 fight or flight. That's the only options. And in some ways, that's a lesson for the need to get to know others and to understand that there is some right. element of genocide that treats the other as non-human, as something you don't recognize, and that your survival somehow depends on eliminating them. It is pre-civilized behavior. Right. And I mean, I would argue that the only way that anyone could commit genocide is to dehumanize that, because you would never kill other humans or people who you view as human and mass you never torture humans other humans the way that happens in genocides i think you'd be hard pressed to find a genocide that ever happened that didn't involve dehumanization yes and i wonder i do wonder and i don't want to know if i can even imagine what it takes to be in the presence of that behavior you know there are stories there are pictures of it happening, of putting people in 
you know, in ditches and then shooting them. Or there's a picture I saw, it's a photograph of but a German sh soldier seeing a little kid in the street and just deciding to pull the gun and shooting the kid. How do you do that? How does a human being do that? And yet they do. Isn't that the scary part of it? Yeah. And yet, and yet they do. And the language and of the dehumanization of the other by calling them names and accusing them of being less than human or, and they, how do you start? So there are a bunch of socialists, no good for nothings in the government or they're, you know, they're Democrats or they're Republicans or they're, you know, but doing the ways that they aren't human beings and that it's okay to do some little thing, but that little thing gets bigger thing and it gets bigger and then they're no longer human beings. People think really bad things can't happen. I've always had trouble wrapping my head around that. I think that was that was what I was going to talk about. It's like really bad things can't happen. Like I learned about the Holocaust in seventh grade. And I, when I studied abroad in Israel, my sophomore year of high school, and I went there and I don't know, it seemed like not that different from here. There were people and they lived in houses and towns and they had jobs and they went to the grocery store. And it didn't seem that, and I just had so much trouble wrapping my head around the concept of political instability. And I, so you're here and you're just like living your day-to-day -day life. And like, how do things escalate to the point of war and of borders changing? Like everything just seems so stable. And so like, so like at home and at home, everything is so regular and no one would ever think of fighting a war. Because, and I just had so much trouble like wrapping my head around this idea of like, it doesn't seem that different. And yet things are so unstable, but they also don't look unstable, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And it gets worse. So, you know, I've spent a good amount of time in Israel myself. Yeah. And the Israel situation is controversial. So it's an interesting dichotomy. But there, there are people who object strenuously how Israelis are treating Palestinians. And there are two levels, multiple levels of that, perhaps. There could be a dispute over rightful ownership of different parts of the country. And figuring out how to resolve those are difficult. Then there, how do you treat the other? And I have witnessed treatment by Israeli soldiers and Israelis and Palestinians that I find reprehensible. And I'm not taking sides. I believe in the essential nature of a land of Israel for, for a place. You know, longer history has proven that Jewish people need to have a safe haven. And Israel needs to be that. But it ought to be that for any population. Where everyone deserves that. a safe haven. And, and it ought to be that for Palestinians. Right. Exactly. And the fact that that is not happening and Israelis are in part responsible for that is needs to be fixed. But it needs to be fixed. You know, we need to be able to resolve without might and without killing the other and demonizing the other. And that... That is a problem right now across the board, not just in the Middle East, in, in America, where the language of viewing people you disagree with is denigrating. This is what I think why people, some, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, of why some people are thinking this is pre-Holocaust or pre-Nazi Germany, is the kind of language and the kind of way people are describing the, their opponent, not the loyal opposition, but somehow evil miscreants, less than human, you know, communist, socialist, 
whatever the words that, that are comforting this or that or whatever. And we need to stop that. Be interesting to see how your class evolves. This is a could be a great ongoing conversation. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I would love to have a chance to pop in and speak to your class. Let your teacher know your grandfather would like to think deep in front of her class. There is a wonderful woman that I had a chance to meet who works in the Middle East and she has a line of clothing and she is enabling women in, in the areas of the world who are often under siege find dignity and freedom and livelihood by making products. And she's working to bring them out of poverty. And she has worked in areas where there have been genocides. She was a fashion model, a global yeah. fashion model. And now she takes that ability to make clothing with and helping women in Africa and in the Far East earn revenue, create small businesses. There's a lot of that good stuff that can go on. Hopefully in your class and part of, not that it just happened, but what are the responses to prevent it from happening again? Hopefully right. that's at the end of each examination is what could have been done different? Exactly. How could this have been prevented? It's yeah. not easy. If we knew that, we wouldn't yeah. be doing them now. Yeah. So any final yeah. thoughts from your end, Emily? Yeah. I think about human nature and humans have a tendency to put themselves into groups, right? That's what humans do. It's like psychological. We make groups of ourselves. So it's us and there's the other. And like, gosh, I, I always try not to do it so hard. And then I always find myself doing it. And I'm like, dang it. Because it's human nature. It's what we do is we find groups of us. And then there are those other people. And trying to fight it is almost futile, right? Because it's something that's going to happen regardless. Question is, can we group ourselves into others without demonizing the other? Just being like, oh yeah, we do our thing. And they do their thing. And we're both equally valid like is that possible and I think the answer is yes I think it's possible to have multiple groups of people each doing their own thing who don't hate each other because they're different and so I feel like it's like how do we create a society where differences are okay they're even fostered and they're all they're all okay it's just okay to be whatever you know how that's talked about I think we may have mentioned it before between Assimilation and multicultural. Yeah. Assimilation, and, you know, they can be yes and, you can have both. There, and you're putting it that way, it's just it's very, not, very good point, Emily, that there are those, and there is this idea that everybody has to be alike and like me. You have to be assimilated and speak English and look like me and think like me. Otherwise, you're not an American and you're bad. And we can celebrate differences. We can Absolutely. learn from each other. And we can have, if you want, multicultural, even you know, different, you know, there are different parts of town. You can go into the Italian part. You can go into the Chinese yeah. group and celebrate all of that. Yeah. Um, and we, we seem to, for, I don't know, power. And, you know, even the, what gets me, you know, we talk about, well, I don't know if we talked about it, but it sometimes it seems the most powerful use hate as a tool for themselves. Absolutely, they do. But that Absolutely. we could go on forever, and we don't have forever. I mean, even yeah, I have moment. one more final closing thought. One more, one more. Please, yes. All right. So I was reading 
in one of my texts for class, there was a quote that was, humans could find new ways to identify themselves that we couldn't even imagine yet. And I thought, well, like, I never thought about that before. Like, of course, I know humans are always going to be parts of groups and they're always going to make groups. And when the author said it, I was like, oh, that's obvious. Of course, humans are always going to be finding new ways to identify themselves, new ways to associate with other people, new identities. And I think that that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think that it can be viewed as almost a great human ingenuity that we are able to think of new ways to associate with one another, new ways of being able to relate to one another. And I don't think that it has, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can actually be a wonderful thing that we can celebrate this amazing human ingenuity of being able to find new ways to bond and associate with each other. I'm curious Um, if there was a thought about what those might be. No, it was just stuff we can't even imagine yet. And I was like, yeah. Well, you know, so I have a question. Oh my gosh, I thought that was going to be it. If you had, if you had to imagine one, what would, what do you think it might be? This is kind of fun. I'm really like stretching my brain. I thought the whole point was that I, like, like you couldn't even imagine. I think that maybe in terms of as new technology develops, different people might decide to use that technology in different ways, and then people group themselves based on how they decided to use the new technology that are invented. What if technology yeah. becomes implantable? Oh, God. And that we begin to associate based on different... Your brand of computer chip in your brain. I, you know, people can't watch me say, well, why not? I don't know. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't one that I thought of. I watched a, the first episode of a futuristic TV show where the premise of the show is that when you die, you, your consciousness can be like uploaded to an afterlife. And so people are like, oh, like we're going to this afterlife. So we're going to get... And then it's like, oh, like, where's, like, I don't know, whatever the brand is, people. Like, where the people who are going to go to, like, the golf course at, like, the country club forever. And, oh, we're the people who are going to go party forever. And so then you have, like, these sort of these cultural differences. I didn't think of it someone else did, but, like, something along those lines. Well, maybe one day people become, become chihuahuas. But Emily, again, we keep promising to end it. There was a project. I don't know where it stands. And I don't remember the name. It was like the Infinity Project, but it's not. And it was funded by the guy who who developed some disability technology. And it was a project to back up the brain. This is real life, group of people. That's terrifying. The idea was to be able, just like you back up a computer, that you could soon be able to back up a brain and then eventually reinstall it. That's terrifying. I don't like that. I don't like that. But maybe, so that's for, what is eternal life called? Immortality. Uh, Yeah, an immortality. It's for immortality. Afterlife? Yeah, but it's it's not going to be afterlife. It isn't that you'll be in a different plane or place. It will be, you will be back. And maybe in an automated body, maybe in... uh, Oh my God, what? No, 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 no. Maybe there'll be different... Some, so you're saying no, but you know, those questions are beginning, to, those are the most likely answers to, I think, that imagined prospect of a ongoing existence. Or maybe okay. they're just people who get to Mars and reproduce on Mars, and that will create a genetic change. I think that we've really stretched this conversation I was ready to end it with like the making new human groups. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to our next one. I love our discussion and I'm, I'm a little surprised at how gaping the gap is between our generations 
not you personally as much as the what I hear from the class and how foreign these genocide senses and ideas are from a generation I came from where it was still tangible, still fresh. Now we've had we've had these things go on, starving in the world and efforts since then, but the gap between time and the challenge that it creates and your the need to educate is urgent. Absolutely. One more thought. This goes back to what we're talking about. We're talking about like the eternal life. And I watched the episode of that show of like the, uh, the uploading to yourself to the afterlife show. And I hated it. I hated it because I realized that if people can just live a forever life in like a happy afterlife, like at this country club or in a casino, that essentially the wealthy would have no incentive to try to make the world a better place. And that the people who can't afford to get their existences uploaded would just be left behind in a planet that's probably burning. So why don't we have a session in the next future about different views on that, on what our responsibilities to make this world better, or is our responsibility... Well, that's kind of been an ongoing theme. Or our responsibility to think good thoughts and pure thoughts, and our reward will be then a eternal life in a better place. This is a good discussion. This is a good lead into our... We can do that next time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. There are ways to give feedback, send us notes, the comments, tell us the good things you like, keep your things you don't like to your, no, I'm just teasing. Um, (laughs) But again, thank you very much. Thank Thank you, you. Emily. Love you. Thank you, you, everybody. Thank you, Grandpa. Love you. See you guys next time.